Hello, everybody. This is Pork and Brenda of Nightwatch Games. Welcome to the Nightwatch Games podcast. This is episode four of season one, and this is where we're going to talk about where do gamers play and why. In the studio with me today, I have two guests. The first is... Hello, my name is Nina Murney, and I started my gaming journey in Massachusetts, playing in Plymouth. Gaming-wise, it is a pretty small town. So I started out there. I started out mostly as a painter because Plymouth didn't have anywhere near the community that there is here in San Antonio. I just moved here recently. Uh, I haven't even been here for a year yet, and my eyes were kind of opened, and I'm totally, totally hooked on just this community and all these wonderful people. I... Um, Well, I still consider myself primarily a painter. Um, I started out as a painter mostly because I couldn't find anybody to play with. I would still say that I consider myself strong in painting and perhaps a little bit weak in play because I'm just starting out. But uh, I did start in Dungeons and Dragons. These days I'm playing a whole lot of Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Absolutely loving it. And I plan to do more. Hi, my name's uh, Raul Garcia. I have been gaming, I don't know, maybe five years or so. I feel like I should always say longer, but I, I don't really think it's been that long. It's got gotten to gaming from a buddy of mine who uh, started with D&D. He, he kind of wrote his own little campaign for Pathfinder, which is kind of cool. And uh, one day he showed up with X-Wing and it kind of took off from there for me. I've been in the X-Wing community ever since. Before that, I, I didn't realize that there were actual game stores you know, it always seemed like a novelty, right? Like uh, there was something else and then maybe somebody had, you know, uh, a suite of, of games you could probably find at Target and then there might be something else that was cool in the store or whatever it is. It was, it was novelty stores. But once I realized that, you know, there are stores that cater to gamers that played games like X-Wing and things like that, kind of got me hooked and going down the path. Uh, these days, I'm still playing a lot of X-Wing. Uh, I've been playing it for so long. I, I really do love that game. I've been recently been picking up Legion. So a lot of Star Wars games, a lot of war gaming, things like that. That's kind of my gaming history to, to date. Brenda, let's start with you. What is your first earliest memory of a game store? My brother Nestor took me to a game store here in town called The Dungeon. Uh, we were just going in to pick up something. And I remember... It vividly, I remember there being comics and miniatures and board games and a lot of big tables in the middle with just all men. And uh, we were just there for a little while, but it definitely made an impression. But I didn't go back to visiting game stores on a regular basis until we got married and started going to Friday Night Magic at the book stand in Colleen, Texas. Yep. Shout out to Stan. What was your impression of the dungeon back then? That was 1980s, if I recall. I was young, so uh, the impression was just that I didn't belong because I wasn't old enough and I didn't know the game and I didn't have any of the models and I wasn't a guy, so <laughs> I just knew that it wasn't, this was my brother's thing and that was fine. But uh, he would play D&D at home bring his friends over. And I wasn't invited there either <laughs> because yeah. I was young and I was a girl. And yeah. so yeah. mostly in my house, we played video games, Atari, and then eventually the, the Sega Genesis. So we were video gamers in my family. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but the dungeon was closed down because it was operating a drug ring. <laughs> that explains a whole lot. Yeah, It was a head shop and a heavy metal store, and then it had this fantastic role-playing element. So you're saying that wasn't a dice tower they were sucking on. It was <laughs> no, a bong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they say dragon, they were talking about dragon on the blunt. Ah. I, I think it's something different. Puff the magic dragon. Um, so, yeah, that was the dungeon. That was my first experience with the game store as well. 
Then there was a hobby shop called Dibbles. Models, World War II plastic tanks and Jeeps and helicopters. And I thought that was a gaming store, but in retrospect, it's a totally different thing. It's a hobby store. So Nina, when you were playing D&D for the first time, where did you do that? So I actually played D&D for the first time online. We did a whole lot of Roll20. And I think the reason I was attracted to that was because it was super simple to set up. All the resources were there. And honestly, for someone who sometimes is a little bit shy, it was a really good way to try to just get into it, to maybe uh, to act out the way that your character would act, to speak kind of wildly without anybody really looking at your face or making you feel too nervous, like like can be the experience when you're playing mm-hmm. D&D at a table. Of course, now I absolutely love playing at tables, but I started out there online and I always tell first-time folks that if they're nervous at all, to start somewhere like that. It's easy, it's accessible, it's nice. And where do you play D&D now? Now uh, we play at my apartment a lot. We pull out our big old kitchen table, we add another table to it, we form a big old like a uh, medieval like uh we're all we're all sitting down at our game of thrones dinner table uh and that's kind of where we play we bring all okay. our figures and stuff it's nice and Rawl, do you ever play games outside of stores i do i do more now than i probably have over the last five years when i discovered game stores like yours and like the other ones around town I kind of fell in love with the idea. I think I had kind of a similar outlook as Brenda did. One of my first experiences was Heroes and Fantasies because it's close to my house. And when I when I went in, there were people playing card games, but there was a lot of other things, like a lot of comics, a lot of novelty things like that, and then an occasional like X-wing model. And and and, and right before that, a buddy of mine showed up with some things. He left them at my house. Said, hey, get into it. Kind of cool. Love the idea of trying to get into it, but. But when I went to the first store that I thought to where I could kind of try to buy this stuff, it didn't really feel like this is a place where I belonged. The guy who got me into the game, right before we deployed to um, Iraq, I, I was staying at his house for like a short little period of time because I was going to get out of the military right, right after I got out, got back from Iraq. And uh, we'd always have game sessions uh, there like every Friday night. And that, that was our weekends, right? And I, hadn't, I didn't really play a lot of games before that. It was just I really liked the crew. It was a, it was a fun group of people. Uh, I like the concepts. And so it was it was a lot of fun just to hang out for hours on end, kind of with a group of people. And I kind of always just assumed that that was what gaming was for a long time up until, you know, I really started to get into X-Wing. Recently, I've been trying to pull some more, more of my game time back into the house. Interesting thing, uh, listening to the two of you talk about the games that you play and where it is that they started. I'm coming up with this theory of levels of community. When you have a tight group of friends and they're playing something like a role-playing game, you probably feel very comfortable doing that at home because it's your friends, you trust them in your house, everyone's very comfortable with each other. There's that level of trust that we were referencing a couple of episodes ago. But there are some games that require the next level of socialization and that's sort of a larger community that you may not get along with everybody that plays the same game that you do, but the game needs that kind of action. Uh, the relationships build and you have large community nights. I know that the Age of Sigmar group meets once a week on Fridays. And I'm going to assume that not everybody in that community 
gets along totally perfectly. Yeah, I think with any large community, that's to be expected. And especially with a game like Age of Sigmar, there are some folks who are very, very serious about about winning, about getting in there and playing the best and the strongest army, which is totally understandable. It's really fun to be competitive in that game. And then there's other folks who are more like, I wonder what would happen if my whole army was just steam tanks. <laughs> and so sometimes those two personalities can clash. And it's kind of at the end of the day, all about finding a way to find some harmony between everybody's personality, purely because even in a community as rich and robust as the one that we have here in Texas, it's still small in the grand scheme of things. And you still got to keep the group together. You still got to work through all that and you still got to keep your friends happy. And well, did you find the same thing happens in X-Wing? Yeah. You know, one of the biggest intrigues is competition. One of the things about competition is regardless of who you are, if you're serious about the competition, you want to play the best. Well, that's outside of the personality window, right? And most people that I do play with, I consider friends. But there is this level of, I do need the community to stay large. I want competition. I'm not, I'm not really playing the game to lose. But I think there's also another element to it. And, and I do, we do run into this a lot in the X-Wing community of, some people just live closer to other places, right? And and if that store doesn't exist and we don't help that place exist, then uh, then we might lose that player. Location means a lot. So so you know for the store and, and for the community and uh, uh, and what it means to actual competition, I think that's kind of big for me, especially in a game like X Wing, because at some point, if all I'm doing, no matter what, is rolling over every opponent that I play. I probably won't play it for very long, right? There's no challenge there. Why play it? Let's move on to something else. Or if you're like Nina, you know, you're playing Age of Sigmar. If you and Ryan only ever played together, you'd be playing your faction against his faction for eternity. And it would get so stale. But when you have a good community, then you get to experience what it's like to play against all those factions and even different styles of play within a faction. And it's the same thing with X-Wing. It's the same thing with Magic the Gathering. I don't want to always play my green deck against your white deck. Boring. So Nina, do you and Ryan play together at the house or the apartment? We uh, we do play together uh, very frequently. Ryan loves to uh, try out different armies against me. I play fewer than he does, but... I like to think that my armies are very, very well-rounded. They do everything. Maybe they're not amazing at any of those things, but they do absolutely everything. So I like to think that I'm a very good player to play against mm-hmm. if you're trying to find out exactly what you need to be good at. Yeah. Yeah, but we the have a lot of... Renaissance gamer. A renaissance gamer. I like that. I'm going to start using that, I think. <laughs> Playing against him is always an experience, and I think that I begin to get more competitive the more that I play him, because I I kind of view him as being someone who's so skilled and so good that whenever I get there, whenever I get right there to the edge of defeating him, I I feel that kind of creep up in me, and I'm kind of just like, ah, yes. Rold, does your your wife play? No, she does not, and it's better that way. Uh, I, I am an ultra competitive person almost at everything. I, I, something I've kind of learned about myself over the last few years, when it comes down to competition where I'm doing it to win, I'm a bad teacher in that aspect. And that's not really the kind of home life I want to have. So, so it's like, Hey, you know, we do other things. Right. And so I don't, I don't compete against her whenever we are doing things or whatever it is. (laughs) Well, say that, um, 
me and Ryan have found kind of an interesting balance there because uh, even though he really does like the tournaments and he's excellent at them, um, he's not a terribly competitive person in personality, uh, but still he is, he's a very good player. Many people would agree that he's, he's a very good player. And in my personal opinion, and I think it's an opinion that's shared by very many of the sons of Slambo, he's, he's excellent. He's one mm-hmm. of our top players and I'm not competitive in that area, but I am very competitive in paint. So in that way, the two of us kind of get our own little competitive thing that we're really good at. So neither one of us feels like we're just repeatedly being trounced by the other one. Sure, he might beat me on the table one day, but when we're painting, he's the one who's asking me what color he should use with purple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, my, my army looks better than your army. <laughs> yeah, that's what I like to brag about yeah. at the end of the day. And Nita, I think- you actually won a uh, painting tournament here at the store, a painting contest. Uh, during the tournament, we did Best Painted, oh, and yes, yeah. Nina's models won, and they were fantastic. I was the judge. Yes, you were, and you did such a good job judging, too. You gave all your reasoning, and you went around. I absolutely love that. I really, really, I think painting is so subjective. You could, one day, you could be competing in a room full of people who absolutely adore your work, and the next day, you could be competing in a room full of people who just aren't really terribly crazy about it. So what I really love is when we do have judges who will give their insight and we'll talk about why and we'll talk about what exactly they did like that for me that's what I go for that's what makes me hungry so in that way I'm competitive and I feel like that's a different way to be competitive than just traditionally on the table I need to win I will honestly play a beautiful army bet before I will play a good (laughs) army I use my most beautiful models and are they good together no they absolutely are not and I'm shooting myself in the foot but when you take a picture of them, they're going to absolutely glow. And there's a feeling there's a feeling of accomplishment that comes with looking at all this work that you've done. Even if you don't necessarily consider yourself to be a strong painter, I have yet to meet anyone who has finished a whole army or even just a whole little uh, in Age of Sigmar a unit. They haven't been able to look at it and go, "Man, I did that. That's mine. That is so exciting, I think for everyone." That's why I think the game store atmosphere is really important to me. And it's why I continue to support it. And without this this place, I probably will not have the full fulfillment that I want otherwise. Stores give you a canvas of competition in which you can participate. And that wouldn't happen outside of a, a formalized brick and mortar kind of setting. What else about stores do you value when it comes to gaming? I, you know, I can say that whenever we would go out and meet friends... To play Magic or X-Wing, I was always really glad that I didn't have to clean the house. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So the practicality of... A neutral space. What was your experience with stores and their cleanliness versus, say, the cleanliness of your own house? Definitely not up to my standard. And some might say that my standards are high, especially the employees here. However, (laughs) I can say that when we moved back here to San Antonio from Germany and we started doing a little recon scouting out other stores. We went to one store who shall not be named and the bathroom was embarrassing. There was bodily fluid on the wall. Yeah. And it was a unisex bathroom and it was female bodily fluid and I thought you can't miss that unless you just never come in here. 
So you never come in here and clean. Yuck. You can't enjoy yourself in any establishment, game store or otherwise, that does not have a comfortable, beautiful bathroom. That's right. <laughs> I want to point out that Night's Watch has a beautiful Doctor Who themed ladies room. For the ladies room, have. yes. Yeah. And it's clean. And I'll say that um, another thing I think that is really unique and special about stores is that I think stores are the place you go to make more friends, to meet more people in your community. And for me, that has been so, so huge because, um, you know, I essentially, I got here and I was looking for people to play with. And I think back to the one sad little store that we had in Plymouth and it was called Medieval Starship. And I used to kind of look in, I used to kind of occasionally go and look at the paints and maybe pick something up. And I, I would see everyone playing, and I would really, really want to join them. I'd really, really want to uh, engage. But it was kind of, it was something that made me very nervous. It seemed like a very tight-knit group. Didn't necessarily include people who looked like me, acted like me, or were as young as me. Or It's sort of like what you were saying, Brenda. It just didn't really seem like a place where I fit. And I remember just looking at that store and wondering when I was going to muster up the courage to just jump in and say, would, would someone like to play Age of Sigmar with me? And unfortunately, it closed before I was able to do that. Oh, no. yeah, but I came here, and I was very determined not to make that mistake again, and just to get in, break in, and I was so lucky that uh, my boyfriend was already uh, very well integrated into the Age of Sigmar group, the Sons of Slambo, that they come and they play here on Fridays. Uh, so I kind of already had a bunch of people that were ready and willing to make friends with me, and I didn't have to have that awkward moment of sticking my neck out and wondering if they were going to perhaps judge me for being a new player, uh, judge me for being someone who primarily who, who used to paint, who is mm -hmm. uh, primarily someone who would paint and do commissions and things like that. There are unfortunately some who may not consider that to be, you know, a real player, quotation fingers. So I was a little bit apprehensive, or I would have been if not for that ready-made community. And uh, I think that that makes game stores so special. Uh, you're not going to have a mixer at your house where you just do an open call for new friends. One thing I used to do a lot was uh, when I was at the game store and I saw someone come in, I would stop and I would explain what we're doing. I come into our community, buy buy the stuff off the shelf, come here every you know Wednesday or whatever it is that we're playing, and come play with us. I promise you, it will be a good time. It will be fun. My preference is Nightwatch. You guys have done a really good job with the store. You've added extra value. You guys started that program where people can come in and really kind of do these pickup D and D campaigns. And I was thinking to myself, man, if if I wanted to play D and D and I couldn't find anybody, and you guys have a program set up, a professional program, you guys put a lot of effort into it, that to me is a value that you just don't find at other places. Nina, I'm curious about your experiences back in stores at Plymouth. And you alluded to this idea that when you walked in, you didn't feel quite integrated into the, the groups that had already been established. How much of that did you attribute to gender? I definitely think that there was an element of that to it. I think that that was cemented for me one time when I went to go and purchase myself a box of Sylvaneth to, to build and paint, and they just assumed I wanted a gift receipt um, and asked me and asked me that, and I was, was kind of discouraged by that. It definitely also looking at the community that was there, it was primarily male, and I don't think that anyone really sets out to be like, our group is going to be just guys. But if you have a group, 
that you've been with for a long time. You could tell that a lot of these people and a lot of these groups have been playing together for quite some time. They're already good friends and they already kind of know how each other work. And if, if that's just the group that you've been with for a very long time, it, it can be hard to accept someone else into it, especially someone who is young and, you know, not the same gender as you as well. So there were definitely some folks who in the past have been more, uh, more eager to bring new folks into the community, uh, new types of people. I mean, why wouldn't you want to play with a bunch of girls? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, we're awesome. Yeah, we're awesome. (laughs) And like, who doesn't want to meet meet a lady who has the same hobby as you? That's nuts to me. There are definitely people who are just eager to do that, eager to integrate, eager to be like, yeah, come on, let's let's just get as many people into this as we possibly can. And then there's folks who are more like, you know, this is what I've been doing for a very long time. This is the way it's been for a very long time. And I'm very comfortable with the way it is. And I'm a little bit worried about change. And I feel like that, while incorrect, is natural. I think that adding variety is always good. But I I sort of understand the logic, even if I don't agree with it. But a thing to note also is that I I may not have been playing Warhammer for my whole life, but I have been a big dork for my whole life. (laughs) And none of the places I ever went to get my dorky stuff, it it was never advertised. And I, when I started uh, playing here in San Antonio, and there are more game stores around, of course there are more game stores in a city as opposed to Little Plymouth, Massachusetts. We have a rock and that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> there's more advertisements. It's more readily available. I, I think that even though he introduced me to the game, I would have gotten into it ages and ages ago if only people had been advertising to me. There is an element of gender to it. I wish there wasn't. In fact, there was oh, there was a competition I entered not too long ago. And I went there. It was an aesthetics competition. And I brought my big old army with me. And I brought Ryan to help me carry it. And so he's, he's you know, carrying my army. And, you know, the first thing they ask is, like, am I just helping him set up? I'm like, no, it's mine. I worked on it. He's colorblind. Yeah. 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 Brenda, you had a couple of experiences when you first started gaming here in San Antonio. Uh, One actually has to do with the X Wing community, and then the other one about a magic game in New Mexico. Right. So anybody that knows me knows that I pretty much have brass balls, right? I'm very independent. I was already 30 years old when I married Pork and started gaming. Confident woman, have no problem being a female in a male-dominated environment. So no problem with that. So I enter a competition or I sit at a table with a bunch of guys expecting to be treated like an equal. And so when I'm not, it really burns me. Sort of like that. You know, we went to uh, another store here in San Antonio once. We were going to enter the X-Wing competition. And Pork specifically said, we are here to play X-Wing. Do we sign up here? And she said, that'll be $10. And he said, oh, I thought it was $10 a person. And she said, oh, are you playing? That aches. <laughs> yup. So to f- bring back to the story, and this is definitely not an exaggeration. We had taken a vacation in New Mexico. Anytime we go to a new city, we go check out the local hobby shops. We find a way to play magic there. So we entered in a tournament and I was sitting down with this young kid, really young. His dad was there playing, but he was 10. So I thought I'm going to be nice to this kid. Well, he was not having it. He didn't want to talk to me. And finally I said to him, so what? What kind of deck are you running? 
And he looked at me and he said, this is a man's game. <laughs> oh my gosh. I said, well, Did you what? slug him? I said, what are you doing here then? <laughs> <laughs> so definitely that. And I remember that being a very early experience in my gaming. And I thought, really? This is a man's game? And I look around and I thought, sure enough, here I am, the only girl here. Fast forward, San Antonio. Now I've been gaming for five years. She won that tournament, by the I way. I did win that tournament. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and I was big enough not to say anything to him about it. But I gave him the dirty eyes. You know, I was like, yeah, I gotcha. But uh, so fast forward, now we're in San Antonio. Met you at this tournament for the first time. Met Matt Scott for the first time. Several guys events. Love him. And I won't say names. So I'm playing Empire in X-Wing, we're at a tournament, and I've got my three little ships, and I come up against a guy that's running a swarm of TIE fighters. Needless to say, there's a certain way you play against that. I wasn't aware of that because I was new to the game, so I just went in charging like I do all the time because that's how I play, just balled out, you know, <laughs> going in. And he couldn't wrap his head around it. What are you doing? What is she doing? Why is she playing? Why is she charging? What are you doing? Don't you know that's not how you play against this faction? I said, well, it's okay. You know, you'll beat me. No worries. I'm just here to play. So I ended up beating him. And it was a big upset. And the first thing he said to me, not was, hey, congratulations. Wow, you really pulled that out. It was, did your husband build this list for you? Uh, oh. Uh, oh, my gosh. Brenda answered, well, did your wife help you build yours? <laughs> That's the difficult thing about the communities is that you're going to run the spectrum of human beings and those who are on the borderline of not being them, right? And, yeah. and have a difficult time. That toxicity, why a lot of people were very happy that you won that game is because walking him out the door of the community would not have been a bad thing. Most of the time you're gonna run into things like that are from the fringe of of that of that community anyways, and that they're not really representing a whole. Mm -hmm. We don't see a lot of girls. Almost all communities that I've been a part of, you know, ducking in and out of or whatever is hanging out, um, have been really inclusive to, because they understand the concept. The bigger we are, the better this is going to be. Yeah. And I enter into that gaming introduction expecting for gender not to be an issue. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just blown away when it is. Yeah. Like, what year is this? Are you mm -hmm. kidding? And it only takes one time yeah. sometimes. I think especially when you're a new player, when you're just starting out, when you're just looking for, you know, a group. And you aren't expecting that. It only takes one time to just burn you like yeah. for good and just be like, I don't want to go back there. I don't yeah. want to. I didn't have fun. I don't want to have that experience again, especially if you're someone who can be a little bit more timid like me. If that happens to me once, I'm not going back there again. And that's a shame because that's the only way you meet people. And I will say the people that I've met here in San Antonio, the Sons of Slambo especially, they are very, very firm in the that is not who we are mm -hmm. territory. I got yes. here and they treated me just like anybody else. And they have, they, you know, they taught me. And not only that, but I think you spoke a little bit to the fact that a lot of girls who do show up at, at, at these games are someone's spouse, someone's girlfriend. They don't see that. Uh, they don't see me as an extension of Ryan. Mm -hmm. And that is very important to me. When I play... I'm playing for me. Mm -hmm. That might be how I got into it, but everyone here got into it somehow. They got into it through a friend. They got into to it through somebody, and 
you know, it isn't surprising to me that a lot of girls got into it via their spouse or their boyfriend. And the reason for that is that's who they're advertising to. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it, it is not in any way a mark against you to have learned that way. I, I'm, I'm very particular about don't introduce me as Ryan's girlfriend because, you know, I stand on my own. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very much, I'm, I hold a very, very good record for paint. Things that I do in the club, they're, they're my accomplishments. Mm-hmm. They're nobody else's. And the Sons of Slambo have always acted just like that. They've been absolutely wonderful. I have never had one of those experiences that just sours you there. When it comes to why do gamers play where they game, consider the amount of control of the social circle if you're playing at home. Mm-hmm. You control who enters your house. And so you can keep that standard to your level. If you come into a public space like a gaming store, you don't have that control anymore and you almost are entrusting the store to do it for you. And in the past, the stores didn't have a standard. It seemed like they were chasing the dollar. You know, if you had money in your wallet and you were shopping there, you were welcomed. And I don't think that is allowable anymore. Stores have to have a standard of the community that role is referencing is going to implode if you let that toxicity exist. And while there are some fringe elements, stores in today's age have to aggressively cull those people out, regardless of how much money they spent or what position of leadership they see themselves in with the community. I think you need to either change that behavior right away or boot that person out of the community. I know the AOS community is is aggressive about that. Absolutely. Aggressive in a good way, in the sense that they have a standard that they uphold, and that's why they're so highly regarded. And yeah. that's not just about gender either. That's about if you're mean to folks who are just trying to learn. If you're mean to folks who don't like to play the same way. If you're mean, period, we don't want to play with you. Yeah. It's never been about anything other than having a good time with a group of people, mm-hmm. and I love that about them. Yeah. Yep. yeah. See, and I, I think with X-Wing, it's a little bit different because you know going to a game store takes you outside of your personal boundaries of your home well your local game store then just becomes just a little bit of an extension of your home well when you're in a competitive game um then the entire city becomes a, a lot bigger extension and when you're really competitive in that your state does and then the whole country does and then the whole world does and x-wing gets a lot like that uh, we've seen a lot of toxic players a lot of people are happy to see them go being a hyper competitive person i'm there to play this game and win it and i'm not going to let anything that you do jeopardize that for me so i'm very controlling over my media atmosphere in front of me but i cannot control a community and it gets exhausting when you try to when a store steps in and does it that does make it a little bit different and i'll tell you that um the stores that i do play at they all handle it a little bit differently uh some places it's it's accepted more than others some places uh, it's absolutely not uh but then when the game itself is taking you beyond that and you're and you're at a lot lot your community is a lot larger what do you do to interact with that what does it do to the community of the game you know, what, what level do you want to interject yourself? Having stores help you with that is, has been, is very helpful because, you know, as store owners, it's exhausting. Like when, when toxicity comes into the community, it is exhausting. And so, you know, having stores, um, having certain policies on that is definitely really helpful. The interesting correlation there is you play where you play because you play why you play. And if you play for competition, the boundaries are beyond your immediate community because you're trying to open up the field to the biggest competitive field that you can, and you can't control all that. So you lower that threshold of trust that we were talking about in the last pod. 
I'm not going to trust the guy across the table to take care of my personal feelings or to subscribe to my values. I'm going to just play this game and I'm going to keep that threshold of trust pretty low. Whereas if you're playing in a community that's not competitive and they're after a good time that's not about record keeping of points or anything like that, that threshold of trust is much higher. Those are two vastly different play experiences, both totally valid. And I find that it's interesting as Brendan and I are game store owners that we're sort of caught in the middle of that. Roll was implying that we have a gatekeeper function that we can exercise, but when it gets to be competition and we're hosting tournaments, we have to open that gate more than we might really want to. We have to let people in that we might not want to be part of the Night Watcher family as we see it. Whereas the Sons of Slambo community, they have their own gatekeepers that are very exercised. Dan Norris alluded to it in the introductory podcast on how they keep their standards in a similar way that ours do. Do you find that during a tournament, a highly competitive situation like a tournament, we relax our standards a little on behavior uh, that is toxic? Do you think that while we wouldn't put up with someone being toxic at our tables in a casual manner, we know that there is more on the line in a tournament, so we allow a little bit more? Do you find that? We allow it to a degree in the sense that we know that this is going to be a limited experience. It's going to happen only at this event, and that person is physically going to be leaving the city, probably, uh, to go live where they live. And so we have to endure that toxicity only for a little bit. However, there's still a line that should not be crossed. Mm -hmm. And if you get to be a sexist, misogynistic, abusive kind of person, I don't care what's happening in the store. I'm going to make an issue out of Mm -hmm. it. And uh, I've even kind of bumped out a couple of our locals and said, I don't think this is a place for you. You don't handle your temper very well. You don't handle the win-loss issue and you set yourself up for drama. And I don't want that inside my walls. And even though I'm hosting a very competitive event right now, you don't compete well. You just don't handle it well. They're a detraction to all the new gamers that are being exposed to what the gaming culture is. That's the last thing we want them to witness is a pouty adult <laughs> yeah that's yes. supposed to be playing a game i will walk into the hornet's nest if i know that the queen bee is there for me to play against at some point and so i'll do that to myself i do value the, the gatekeeper concept but when you're trying to play competitive inside the atmosphere the the gatekeeper is very very important to you um and so that's that's why i've always kind of valued um your store when you come here to San Antonio, we're going to run a tight shop and we're not going to let the nonsense fly because, and, and I, I feel that that is a seller for people who want to respect competition. Because if I know that the, the, the gatekeeper or the organizer or whoever it is, is going to step in and say, that's a foul or not letting that ride get lost. That's going to be the place that's going to grow a little bit. I think when you set the ground rules, I think you guys did that a lot too when you guys first opened. That's one of our business models. If you raise the standard of your customer base, you end up getting better customers. And then the better customers just grow a better community and they turn into customers and it's a self-eating prophecy of quality. And I think that micro communities, I think they should do the same thing because you don't want to have a negative experience that turns somebody off because it's probably going to turn them off forever. You've lost them. And when you stand up for that person, though, someone who's having that experience, they'll never forget that. 
Yeah. That that's the kind of thing that you can take what otherwise would have maybe turned someone away from the game and make it the reason they keep playing. That really can just save someone's hobby. Uh, back in the day when, when when tabletop was in existence, I remember the first time that I walked into the store on a Friday night, that was the Friday night, X-Wing night. The the language and the volume was so loud. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, I'm never going to bring my son in. This is a place I'm not going to bring my, bring my son. Uh, there's another guy, uh, Chuck, Chuck Thier, and his son, Charlie, right? I remember having this conversation with him a lot, too, because his his son's very similar age to my son. And there's a guy that his son would be playing and just language lighting it up. And, and it's just like... Oh, this is painful. And I always talk to I, I always talk to Chuck about how how do how do you handle this? And we both talk to our sons and say, look, you know, this is life. Uh, this is not who you are personally, but this is who you're going to come up against, and this is how you know you'll handle adversity. But but the simple fact that uh, you can rely on some stores to keep that under control is is such a relief for me. It makes it so much easier for me to bring me and my son to the store and say. We're going to have fun tonight and I'm not going to have to cringe. I'm not going to have a long conversation about some dirty joke he told or whatever it is. And that, that one's always been really important to me. It is, it's nice too, because we never really have to say to people, stop cussing. We just tell them, hey, keep the banter to the table. You keep it where y'all can hear it, yeah. but nobody else has to hear it. The Sons of Slambo play at another store on Friday nights do, outside yes. of Night Twitch. And I like, would say that the experience is a little different there. Yes. Um, nice. I know that for adult gamers that are casual about their gaming and they're not in the competitive mindset and they, they want to have fun, they see alcohol consumption as being maybe an intrinsic part of that bonding element that happens when you get around the table. It's not necessarily a typical all the time thing. It has been something that has been introduced for tournaments or uh, a particular event. Um, and I know that outside of that store, when we've had, we had our Sons of Slambo Grand Tournament, there was alcohol being sold there. That was actually part of a charity event. So it was beers for the kids. Um, we got a bunch of kegs and everyone who would buy beer, uh, it would be donated. So obviously this led to a lot of people drinking quite a lot of beer. And I will hand it to the AOS community. It was a wonderful time. I didn't see any of that can definitely understand why some establishments would choose not to introduce that element. Because even when you are with a group of really wonderful folks who are going to uh, be responsible, you never know. And I know I myself, I like to think of myself as very responsible. I'm also five feet tall. <laughs> um, and it takes about a beer and a half to put me under a table. You know, uh, there have been situations where I thought I was good and I'm, I'm pretty giggly. <laughs> and uh, in my natural state, I am from Massachusetts, and uh, I got a mouth on me. And I imagine that sometimes I'm a little bit less fun in that state. Uh, so while we've done it with great success with the Sons of Slambo many, many a time, I was like, the Slambo GT was absolutely excellent. Everyone was good and responsible and having a great time. I can, I can definitely understand why uh, that's an element of risk that folks might want to keep to their home. On a, on a factor of, say, one to ten, how important is that to people? I would say that people, people, of course, you know, they like to have their freedoms when they're performing, uh, when they're in their free time. And, you know, gaming is free time. It's how you spend your time is important. And uh, it's understandable that folks would want uh, to exercise their freedom as much as possible in those moments. Um, so I do understand the logic of, you know what, I want to game with my friends. I want to have a good time. I want to have a beer while I'm doing it so that I'll get like a little better at the game. 
Um, I totally do understand that logic. So I think that that's valid. Um, and also for me, there's, there's other things that would make me want to game at home as well, somewhat relating to that freedom element. Um, I am hearing impaired. I'm not deaf, but I am, uh, you know, I don't hear as well as some folks do. And so I wear hearing aids. And when it gets very, very crowded, you, you had, uh, you had spoken a little bit about how the volume can raise quite a bit in a, in a store setting. You know, it can be a little bit overwhelming. It can be a little bit difficult to hear. It can be a little bit difficult to, you know, to understand who's talking to you. But at the same time, you're in a community space that belongs to the community. I'm not just going to run up to everybody and say, be quiet, I can't hear. I specifically have this problem. Yeah. So I think when I'm in my own house, I feel a lot less bad about being like, shush. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's that as well. I've actually noticed now that we have the Capo's Pizza here in the shopping center where you don't have to leave the parking lot and they sell beer and wine. I've noticed people will go over and have a slice of pizza and a beer and then come back over. And we haven't had any problems. That's good. People love doing that. Mm -hmm. The sons talk, the sons discovered that pizza place and we're real, real thrilled about it. Uh, so I think that that must be good for both y'all. It really yeah. is. And they've yeah. been... Uh, generous with us and we've been very supportive of them and so one of the things that i was contrasting is uh the the type of gamer that plays at home versus that plays in a store versus the person that just plays in tournament settings in larger venues then we have the sub partitions of people that play at certain stores because of the community and the the culture that has been fostered within that store and we find that most gamers are very singular about the store that they play in. They find their comfort zone and that's the place that they go and they become the norm of that cheers. But then there's some people, you two included, that uh, we call them store hoppers. Mm -hmm. And they go from store to store and they bring the community with them to that store and they sort of impose that community onto the store and the store has to you know, accommodate. Because there's some stores that can't do that. They're thinking of the large corporate-style gaming stores. They have a hard time adjusting. In San Antonio, you have a full palette of different stores, and they all do that differently. Not to say anyone's better than the other, because there are communities that subscribe to those different palettes. As inclusive as Dan Norris says our gaming community is in San Antonio, from a retailer's point of view, we still see the pockets of people that want to play a certain place because they want to play a certain way and they want to play with certain people. And people play the games they want to play, where they'll play, with the people that they want to play with. And while there's some commonalities there, I think the thing that we've discovered throughout these conversations is that it's a, it's a pretty unique experience and that there's not really a right or wrong to it. Certain standards, I think, have to be upheld, but there's there's a certain threshold that gamers are exercising in today's gaming culture, and the game stores are more empowered to cater to those things. The consumer is more in touch with choices. You guys have places that you could go, and you can choose to go there or not, and there's other places that will pick up the slack. It's a very empowering time for gamers to be able to pick the game that they want to play. And there's thousands of them. So you're going to find something that you really like. And you're going to have plenty of choices of people to play with. There's thousands of us out there. Uh, as Nina said, she's she was looking for someone to play with for the longest time. And it just takes a little spark to turn that into a flame. And now there's tons and tons of places to play. 
whether that be an established store or going home and playing around the kitchen table is totally valid. I agree. People will play what they want to play, when they want to play it, with whom they want to play it, where they want to play it. And I think as store owners specifically, we just have to make sure we stay relevant. And for whatever it's worth, you know, like I said, I split my game time uh, from store to store right now it's because that's where my friends split their time. Uh, but you guys offer a really unique um, uh, atmosphere that I'm, I'm hoping you guys can hold on to and stay relevant. And it sounds like you guys are. We've had a conversation, you know, offline definitely about how relevant you are staying. For whatever it's worth, the standard is a good thing to have. This has helped me kind of solidify my opinion that there really is a place for both places or all places, really. I think that your home is your happy place. It's the place where you don't have to feel shy about shushing your friends or having a beer or looking a little bit dumb. <laughs> uh, but the store going out into the world is absolutely essential for making more friends, uh, going a little bit out of your comfort zone, which I think is absolutely necessary with hobbies like these and uh, learning more about the place you're in and the people you're with. So I think there's a place for both on different days. I feel like I have different preferences, but this conversation has definitely helped me to sort of solidify that opinion that both are very important for different yeah, reasons. Yeah. One of the assumptions there is that the home life is a good life. Sometimes mm -hmm. the home life is not a good life. Very true. And having a store to go to, to play and that becomes your happy place that's one of the goals of Nightwatch is to be that refuge for people that may not have that at home. Make their lives a little bit better. Absolutely. Listeners, keep in mind, we're going to do a summation podcast that sort of wraps up the whole of season one of why do we play with who we play? Why do we play the games that we choose to play? And why do we play where we play? We sort of want to try to take a gestalt look at all those uh, issues and see if we can come up with some universal truth. This is Porik and Brenda of Nightwatch Games. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Adventure awaits. <laughs>